so that I can see you and you can see me. And between that arrangement, I think I have the better of the arrangements. Uh, what I'd like to talk about today is, as you know, it's uh, 1863, and this war isn't going away. And 1863, we were into our war for about almost two and a half years, and uh, we don't seem to be any further ahead than we were two years ago. But uh, some of the things that I'd like to recap from this year, and on January 1st, I put in motion the Emancipation Proclamation. Now this was a wartime measure, and, and what did it actually do for our, our country? Why did I do this? The, uh, the basic goal was to change the emphasis of the war from a political issue to a moral issue. Uh, as I started the war, I didn't really care if slavery existed or if it existed in the South and not in the North. My goal was to keep the Union together. And a lot of people think that the Civil War started because of states' rights. And uh, that's the, uh, the Confederate side of the coin, as you may. Uh, my, it, for me, it was slavery. And I wasn't that sympathetic towards slavery as I have become, because we all change in our courses of our life. So a couple of reasons was um, to make the emancipation is we as a North were faring poorly in our war. The only thing that added up was the amount of casualties and the dead and it kind of fits into today's sermon about blood, because there was a ton of bloodshed. And uh, I had hoped that by freeing the slaves in the southern states, they would come up to join the North and fight for their own independence. And I think that's kind of working out for our advantage. I also didn't want to free all the slaves because we have four states in our union that are on the border that may, that may go into the Confederacy. And we can't do that. We can't have that many Confederate states. Because my goal is to keep the union together. So that's what I had hoped. Also, France and England were about to declare the Confederacy their own country. And that was not a good thing. That would, we, we had provided uh, a plan when, when the war started to kind of choke the South so they couldn't export anything in. At that time, cotton was a, a big commodity for the South and for our country. We provided 80% of the cotton to the world. England and France wanted it. In exchange for that, the South wanted weapons. So we made this Adirondack plan, which choked all the ports out. And our, our last cog in, in our plan was Vicksburg, uh, Mississippi, which General Grant took care of. It took him a while. But between that and Gettysburg, things started swaying in the North's 
favor. Uh, next in, in there, we have a couple of battles that are pretty prominent. One is the Battle of Chancellorsville. That was um, probably the last big Southern victory that they had for, for General Robert E. Lee. But in that victory at Chancellorsville, he lost his best general. Anybody know what his generals that he lost in Chancellorsville? Yes, sir. Stonewall Jackson. And uh, things might have been a little different had he survived that. And you know how he died. He got shot by his own man and uh, died six days later. And he's buried in two different plots. Uh, places. His arm is buried first and then he got buried six days later. All right, so next I'm going to give you a little bit of history on Gettysburg. I'm sure you're all familiar with that battle we had about four or five months ago in Gettysburg. It was July 1st through July 3rd. started on a Wednesday and it was um, a bloodbath. Um, after after the battle, there was a lot of dead to contend with, a lot of destruction in the city in Gettysburg. And Gettysburg is not an easy place to get to. And as we know now, it was not at the intended battle place. Um, many people been here to Gettysburg? Anybody? A couple. It's not easy to get here in the future, as I hear. But back then it was even really tough. It's tough terrain to get in there. What they were doing after Chancellorsville, Lee had uh, a lot of confidence for the South. They were feeling very good about themselves. So he decides to come through Maryland into Pennsylvania to attack the North in the, in the North. Because most of the battles, practically all of them, were in the South. His army was tired, they were lacking food, everybody thinks it was for shoes, but there's no shoe factory in Gettysburg, and uh, they were looking to come up through the north if they were successful. They were actually going to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, to meet there, and uh, if they were successful in Gettysburg, they would go down to Washington and demand their freedom. Well, we know it didn't go that way, which is a good thing. Um, so after the, I'm going to get into the war a little bit later. Some of the, um, well, uh, the governor of Pennsylvania is Andrew Curtin. And he contracted David Wells, who was a lawyer in the city of Gettysburg. And what they did was they purchased 17 acres and hired a man to design a cemetery called the Soldiers National Cemetery. And they were preparing to remove the dead horses and to bury the um, soldiers properly. And they needed a lot of uh, space to do it, so the 17 acres would do it. And at that time, it was the state's responsibility to bury their own people, but there was so many. As you know, there was around 53,000 fatalities, injured, casualties, wounded, missing 
from this three-day battle. It's horrendous. And all the states couldn't do it. So the state of Pennsylvania bought the land. The U.S. government provided the caskets. And now they had to do the dedication. Uh, so on September 23rd of, that, of this past year, uh, they decided to invite a very famous orator called Edward Everett. And uh, they had planned to do the Gettysburg dedication on October 23rd. It's coming up. But he had to decline it because he says, I'm not prepared to do it. So they moved that date from October 23rd to November 19th. And he would be ready to do a speech. Well, his speech lasted over two hours. It was 13,000 and some words. And nobody ever remembers what he said. But if you ever get the chance to read it, it what it is is like a, it's like a play. It plays out the story and the events of the three days very well. And he memorized all those words. Uh, going chronological now, we're, we're into October 3rd. Uh, I made two proclamations that year. I made the uh, emancipation. Does anybody know the, the second proclamation I did? It's a little event held the third Thursday and Thursday. I mean, in November. Thanksgiving. What at the time, each state kind of celebrated Thanksgiving in their own way, not always on the same date. And what I did was I made a proclamation to have it held on the last Thursday of the month. And I hear in the future it's going to get changed to the third Thursday of the month. And that was because during the uh, Depression, Roosevelt made it the third Thursday to give retailers more shopping days till Christmas. But anyway, the, uh, the Thanksgiving proclamation goes as this. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States uh, and also those who are at sea and those are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise our magnificent Father who dwells in the heavens. So that's when he did it, which was October 3rd of that year. Now shortly after that, I get a letter from uh, David Wills, and he asked me to say a few remarks about, about the dedication that's coming up so it's about, it was held on November 19th, like I said, it's Thursday. And uh, I had spent the night before at David Wills' place and kind of brushed up the speech a little bit. And uh, it was 12 o'clock on the Thursday. Temperature was about like today, kind of like cold and a little damp. But at first, Everett gave his speech for two hours and then there was a little song by the U.S. Marines. And then I got asked to do a speech. And anybody here want to give the speech for me? And I'll see if I can still remember it. 
uh, goes like this. I, I approach the stage and you can see the empty coffins because because all the dead were not properly buried. You could smell the horses and you can look at on the fields there and it was pretty, pretty awesome. Not good, awesome bad. So I took my uh, place on the stage and I wish they still would have left the stage there at Gettysburg so you could see the exact spot that I stood at. But anyway, it goes like this. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. Now it's altogether fitting and proper that we should do this, but we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hollow these grounds. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here, have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us to be dedicated here to the unfinished task which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us the living to be dedicated to the unfinished task that remains before us. That from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion. That this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. And that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. And then I go back and sit and I think, boy, that speech will never scholar. But the next day, I received a, a little note from Edward Everett. And it said something to the effect, like, I wish I could have conveyed in, in two hours what you did in two minutes. So he approved of the speech, and obviously the speech has become the most memorized speech in our history. And I think that concludes, oh, I got one more thing. Uh, in the Gettysburg battle, our general was George Meade, and he survived it, and, uh, made the South retreat to um, the Potomac. Well, just after the battle, uh, they had tremendous rains that came through. Some of the graves were washed open because they weren't dug very deep. And uh, Lee had to sit at the Potomac for about four or five days. And uh, after 
I heard this, I wrote, I sat down and wrote George Meade a letter, and it goes like this. My dear General, I do not believe you appreciate the magnitude of the misfortune involved in Lee's escape. He was within your easy grasp and I have, and have closed upon him in connection with the other late successors have ended the war. As it is, the war will be prolonged indefinitely. Your golden opportunity is gone and I am stressed immeasurably because of it. Uh, that letter was written on July 14th of 1863. And uh, one of the things I like about Lincoln is he was very level-headed. He never sent that letter to George Meade, but just the act of writing it out when he was upset saved him a lot of further grief. You know, it wasn't going to change the situation if he sent it to Meade. So, he was a very patient man, and uh, you know he got along with his credits. And I am very honored to be here today uh, to represent Abraham Lincoln, our first successful Republican president. And uh, it's been a blessing for me to be able to come here today. And I thank Pastor Brown, and I thank you all. Thank you very much. I have wrote many letters like that at my desk and decided not to send them too at different times of feeling overwhelmed or burdened or hurt or whatever. So I can understand Mr. Lincoln, not that I'm any measure of a man as he, but I can understand that. We have a special. Uh, we're going to have the McLaren family sing, uh, Emma and Mom and Dad, and then we'll have a short message about... The faith of Lincoln I've been studying over the last few days. I think some interesting things that will add to this day. Okay, so uh, John and Kirsten and Emma, and then we'll have the message.
Thank you, Emma. Such a clear voice. Very good. All right. I have a few thoughts here today on Old Fashioned Day uh, 2018. I want to bring a thought on Oh, for the good old days. And my initial verse is Jeremiah 6.16. Jeremiah 6.16 says, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way, and wherein, where, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this good day we've enjoyed in your house. Thank you for all the uh, people that have come today, and uh, thank you for those who participated in this day, all the helpers, all the workers. Uh, those that made things especially for this day. Bless them, Lord, and thank you that we could have uh, the Carleys here today, and uh, we thank you for the rendition of Abraham Lincoln. We pray, God, that now we would listen a little bit about the life of a man that you use greatly uh, for the freedoms of our country. And Lord, as we conclude, help me to be able to make this a message that pleases you and that perhaps draws someone to your dear son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Now, um, I enjoyed the presentation. Ron Carley did. His wife, Tina, is here with him. And I, I, I was so glad they were able to came, come today. Let, let them know how much you appreciate it afterward, okay? Uh, he's on spot in his looks, that's for sure, and uh, in his presentation. So... He portrayed the 16th President of the United States on Old Fashioned Day, uh, Mr. Abraham Lincoln. And I've been reading a lot about his life this week and things I thought I knew, some new things I learned and some things that were reestablished in my thinking. Um, I particularly looked into the faith of Mr. Abraham Lincoln. There's a lot of debate on whether he was a true Christian or not, as you study the history of such a man. The records and the quotes and the actual statements of Lincoln give evidence that uh, the president was indeed a believer in Jesus Christ. I'd like to present some interesting information on one of the great American presidents and, of course, statesmen of our country. There were some that highly debated uh, the belief that Abraham Lincoln was a Christian uh, many historians and students of history, some say that he was an unbeliever, uh, least a skeptic in his Christianity. Um, a few say that he was even an atheist that I read. Yet more voices spoke of his deep religious experience and that he believed in God and believed in his son, Jesus Christ. Now, Lincoln's faith as a child, I want to talk about first. The Bible says in Matthew 19, verse 14, but Jesus said, Suffer the little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 8 and verse 3, the Bible says, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, Lincoln's parents were hard shell Baptists. Uh, they believed in, they believed in uh, Calvinism. Some were preordained to heaven and some were preordained uh, to hell. They joined the Little Pigeon Baptist Church in Lincoln City, Indiana in 1823. Later, in 1831, the Lincoln family moved to New Salem, and they had no churches. 
But his parents were very faithful church-attending people. They did what they could uh, to bring people to church and to have a worship service. Uh, there are many statements, again, and records and quotes of Lincoln's faith way back to his childhood days. He was raised in a God-fearing family. They read the King James Bible. Young Lincoln was made to have made a profession in those early childhood years. His speeches, he often quoted the Bible, and many felt that his thoughts were so inspired by Scripture that when he spoke, he spoke in the cadence and the beauty of the King James Bible. And they felt that he had learned that as a child that was placed into him by his parents, and therefore, then he became a Bible reader himself. Several people knew him personally. One such man was chaplain of the Senate, Phineas Curley, and of course his own wife, Mary Todd Lincoln. She claimed him to be a believer in Christ, and they used the term in a religious sense. Now we talk about Lincoln's faith increasing now. As he was a child, and he's growing older in adolescence, he didn't believe in predestination. He had a hard time with that doctrine. And therefore, he got away from the faith that he had learned as a young boy. The Bible says in 2 Peter 1, verse 5 through 8, And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to Patience, godliness, and the godliness, brotherly kindness, and the brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as a young boy, the Bible was so instilled in him that when he became a man, those, those truths and those things he had said, he came back to him. During his 1946 run for the House of Representatives, he was said to be an atheist, and some believed that he was not a true born-again Christian. And this concerned him, so he had written a handbill at the time that stated that he never denied the faith nor the truths of the scriptures. And that was given out to so many communities. In his writings and in his conversations, he seemed to believe in an all-powerful God. That shaped the events in 1865. Lincoln was expressing those beliefs over and over in his major speeches. Many books have been written about his religious background. One reads, Lincoln's presidential speech and letters filled with his references to the Bible, demonstrative of his dependence on prayer for God's guidance. And it says it is difficult to comprehend how anyone would perceive that President Lincoln anything but a man of God and a sincere, uh, a sincere believer in God. And so again, there was two different thoughts here. Some people thought that he was, some people thought that he wasn't. The majority thought, how could he not be as he used the Bible so much in his speeches? Now, many doubted the conversion for many reasons. One, uh, a one-time law partner of him thought him to be non-religious. So at the time in which he had not come back to the Lord, it appears that he, he lived a life that nobody really thought he was a true believer. But his wife at one time answered the skeptics of her day when she was asked about her husband's faith. She said that, uh, that uh, he, uh, Abraham got close to the Lord as he went through many difficult times and seasons. And the main reason she thought that people did not believe he was a true believer was that he 
never joined or had reluctance to join any specific church. Now the reason he did not join any particular group was he did not want to sway people by his growing popularity. He also uh, believed, he didn't believe in a, uh, all the dogmas and all the prerequisites that any church he had ever gone to set upon the people for membership. They had to adhere to a certain set of bylaws and rules at that time. And he said there wasn't a church he found that didn't have something he didn't, did not agree with. So he decided not to join any specific denomination. Uh, he was never satisfied, he said, with the dogmas or the creeds of denominational churches that required uh, you to say so as a member. Now, after winning the president's election, presidential election in November of 1860, the full weight of his responsibility was upon his shoulders, and that caused him to run to the Bible that he had learned as a young man. And uh, he would pray and seek after his God, of course. Something else that his wife said, and many of the, the authors that I read this week, is that Abraham Lincoln became stronger in his faith after facing the death of his children. He had a son named Eddie that just shy of his fourth birthday uh, had passed away as a young child. And that broke the heart of the president. And uh, instead of getting upset with God, it caused him to get more into the Bible, more into his faith, which is a good thing. Many people go the other direction. And then after each of his fourth and fifth sons contracted measles, their name were Willie and Tad. Um, they were very sick, and he was worried about losing them. They got over the measles, but they were never the same after that illness. You've got to remember, uh, that was a tragic uh, Ill illness in those days. People died from it very commonly. And the boys got over it, but they never really uh, returned to strong health. And eventually, these two boys died also. Um, Willie died at age 11 with diphtheria and Tad at the age of 18 with um, typhoid fever. Now you can imagine losing three children in that short period of time and I'm just amazed that he didn't go the other direction but he actually sought God more, read through his Bible, prayed more, uh, started going to church on a regular basis with his wife. They had one other son, Robert Todd Lincoln. He lived to the age of 82 and lived a full life of service to his country. He was in the United States Army. He was a staff member under Ulysses S. Grant. He was the 35th United States Secretary of War. And in his later years, he was an ambassador to the United Kingdom for America. That's quite an accomplished life. But his other boys died young, and that really affected him uh, deeply. Uh, after the demise of their son, Willie, Mrs. Lincoln said, her husband drew closer to God. This increased him uh, in the White House, spending time in prayer, having meetings with different Christian leaders, and seeking God. He sought the Lord in the war years, uh, so much burden upon his heart that he'd spend hours uh, in prayer. And each session trying to get God's mind concerning different decisions that had to be made. Thirdly, Lincoln was a statesman uh, under God. Many of his statements regarding his faith and the Bible and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are written about 
and recorded in his writings and speeches. He received a gift Bible uh, from a group of African Americans from Baltimore. And after getting that Bible presented to them, he held it up before them and he made the statement, in regards to this great book, meaning the Bible, I have to say it is the best gift God has given man. And he knew because he read it so much. And he said this, all the good of the Savior gave to the world was communicating through this book. But for it, we would not know right from wrong all things most desirable for man's welfare here and after, hereafter are to be found portrayed in it. September 9th, 1864. And Mr. Lincoln has already told us about the proclamations made about Thanksgiving. And uh, Lincoln proclaimed that at the last Thursday of November would be set aside for the day of Thanksgiving. Later, changing it to the third week. And again, that quote, it seemed to me fit and proper that uh, they give, the gifts of God should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as the day of thanksgiving and praise unto a benevolent God. Who, know, who dwelleth in the heavens, October 3rd, 1863. Now, I'll draw conclusions about Lincoln's religious beliefs. Um, all these evidences and many more were to conclude, or, or to perhaps conclude that Abraham Lincoln was in fact a Christian. This very picture before you has the Bible, the Word of God depicted on it, and Scripture verses on that statue. Uh, he had the testimony of being a Bible, God-fearing Christian man. His Christian heritage, his upbringing as a young boy we mentioned, he fell away in his youth, which many people have done themselves, but he returned to the faith in the difficult times of his life. Later, after personal loss, and in public and private life, Mr. Lincoln sought God over and over Again, while president of the United States, Lincoln became a man of tremendous faith and again dependent on the Word of God. In his speeches and his writings, there's ample material that he believed in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. There's evidence that he read the Bible daily, that he prayed daily, and he went back to his Calvinistic roots while president. Now, I don't, I'm not a Calvinist, but he was. As a matter of fact, Stonewall Jackson was brought up and he fought uh, with vigor and he was fearless in battle and they asked Stonewall Jackson why he would be in these battles and he risked his life and did what he did and he was called a stone wall because he stood there like a stone wall while his men were going into attack. He led them into attack and his answer was that he believed in the sovereignty of God and if it was his time to go, he'd go and if it wasn't, he wouldn't. And so he went into battle with assurance that, you know, this is what God wanted him to do. And so that's why he became such a great warrior, soldier. Well, Mr. Lincoln had those roots himself. Both he and his wife regularly attended church frequently, and they never joined but attended the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church. Of course, Presbyterians in that day were Calvinistic in their belief. Now, lessons we can draw from all this today. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is, uh, it, it, is, it is 
For I'm not saying that it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You shouldn't be ashamed of it. And amen? amen. But uh, it is at best uh, for us to hear something like this. Some things come to my heart. First of all, that we have a certain testimony of our faith in Jesus Christ. It also speaks to us, I believe, that even though you raise your children in churches, not necessarily uh, in and of itself a way for your children to come to know Christ. Uh, the church backs up what's taught at home. And mom and dad, it's so important for you to teach your children the word of God and to explain to them how you came to the faith. But they must come to the Lord themselves when they come to an age of accountability and understand these truths in their own heart and life. Amen? Yeah. We ought to, we that are saved, must use our own words to convince our children of Jesus Christ being the only Savior, our own testimony, our own lifestyle, our godliness, our devotion. And listen, faithfulness to serve God. You know, you can say to your kids, God is real and God is good and so forth, but if you don't show it in your own life, they watch your life more than they listen to your words. And so again, serving the Lord, being active in uh, service of the Lord, soul winning, all that kind of stuff. What are they, whatever you say is okay, important, but what you do is far more important. Amen. So it's best for us to live a testimony for Christ. Second of all, it's possible again, to be religious and miss true Christianity. Uh, I don't know, but I would think today would be a good thing to say, listen, have family devotion, have family prayer, amen? Uh, be active and involved in your local church. And then I want to say as we close this afternoon, there may be someone here th this afternoon that has never trusted Christ as your Savior. Listen, don't miss heaven for what's going down here on earth. Uh, heaven is for eternity, but also hell is for eternity. And they're both spoken of in the word of God. And so Lincoln's life was used of God to speak to many people about faith. And I think today his life could speak to us about our own assurance and our true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this old-fashioned day, uh, let's seek the old paths and seek the God of our forefathers. Amen. And if you're not sure... At the close of this service, maybe a child, maybe an adult that's been invited here today. If you're not sure you know Christ as your Savior, come talk to us and we'll look into God's Word where you might call upon Christ today to be your Savior. And then on this old-fashioned day, if you've fallen away from God, I encourage you to come home to the Lord. Back to the old paths that Jeremiah spoke to. Amen? And uh, again... I'm grateful for a Christian heritage in our country. I'm grateful for a Christian heritage in our homes. I'm glad for the local church. These are blessings from God. But I'm so glad that there was a time and place in my life where I invited Jesus into my heart to be my Savior. And I hope you've done that too. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this afternoon's service. Thank you for everyone that stayed. Oh, Lord, sometimes on days like this,